It's the e-commerce master plan podcast here to help you grow your e-commerce business faster and more efficiently by cutting through the hype to bring you inspiration and guidance from the e-commerce sector and beyond. Here's your host, Chloe Thomas. Hello, Master Plan World. It's great to have you all listening, and I'm really pleased to be bringing you another Hot Off the Press Takeaways episode. Last week, I was lucky enough to be speaking at the Direct Commerce Association's annual summit in London, so I stuck around for the whole day to see what I could learn and bring to the podcast for all of you. I've put the written version of this update, my script if you like, uh, directly onto the webpage of this episode, so there's no form to fill in, nothing to download. You can just go straight to ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash 53 and you will find everything I'm reading out, because I know some of you like to print, to read, etc. as we're going through this, so it's kind of like an exceptionally long blog post. I've been attending Direct Commerce Association events for over 10 years now, and you get discussions and education there that just doesn't happen anywhere else. That's due to the traditional mail-order core of the organisation, so there's always lots of great discussions about attribution, data selection and print mailings. Whilst I'm a big fan of print, I have resisted spending the podcast waxing lyrical about all the new inline personalisation options that are available, simply because there's other content that I feel will be much more impactful and relevant to many of you out there. So here's the list of what I'm going to run through for you. First up, I'm going to be giving you a couple of mini updates about some new reports that are out there for you. Then I'm going to take you through the highlights from the uh, the session run by Andrew Nisbet, who is an absolute master of B2B e-commerce. I know a lot of you are always eager for B2B updates, um, so hopefully that one will tick that box for you this week. Then we're diving into the world of mobile with some top tips from the legendary Amy Africa, Penultimately, it's then uh, some fascinating information on web chat, how it's a great thing to add into the mix and how to do it well. And that's updates from Dixon's Carphone, massive European uh, retailer. And finally, we're going to have the key points from my own session, which was entitled Growing Your Sales with Social Media. Quite an eclectic mix of topics today, but I think you're all going to find some great takeaways. As I said, the written version of this episode is on the website, like an exceptionally long blog post. So you can find that and links to everything as well at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash 53 or go to the podcast tab or the search box. You know all the ways of finding these things. Right then, the mini update first off. There's two of these for you. One is that Epsilon Abacus gave us an update on their annual home shopping trends report. In my opinion, this is a must read and I eagerly await it each year. No, seriously, I honestly do. Um, And that's because it shows how sales and marketing effort have changed month on month, year on year in key product categories. So it's a really useful breakdown if you want to understand how other people in your sector saw their sales patterns go across the year and work out where they were choosing to put their marketing effort. There's also some fascinating insight into how the weather affects sales that's well worth a read towards the end of the book and an economic um, outlook as well. I've put some pictures from the update on the site so you can see a bit more about that and there's also a link to where you can download that report. The second um, one I wanted to tell you about is that Royal Mail gives a bit of an update on their life stage data research, which is a survey they did of people in the UK to see 
how different demographic groups react to marketing materials that come through the post. Of course, Royal Mail have a vested interest in getting us out to send more posts, but the data is really interesting because it's certainly that all generations react well to postal marketing. The actual report isn't yet available, but I did take some photos of the slides and those are on the website for you. And once I hear that that, that research is available, I'll put up a link too. So that's all at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash 53. And that's all my little mini updates. So let's move on to the highlights from the B2B e-commerce master, Andrew Nisbet. For those of you not familiar with Andrew and his B2B e-commerce business, Nisbet, he started it in 1983, selling equipment for chefs. So into professional kitchens, everything from clothing to knives and refrigerators and um, cookers even. So it's all that kind of hardware aspect rather than the food. They now turn over £250 million with a profit of £32 million. There's over 2,000 people in his team and they're trading in the UK, Europe and Australia and are growing at 10% per annum. So definitely a B2B e-commerce master. I wanted to bring you a couple of really interesting thoughts from Andrew's story. First up is about creating your own branded product ranges and because that for them has been a key part of building the business. They've got 15 of their own brands. Uh, So, for example, there's Polar, which is a range of fridges and freezers. Uh, There's Vogue, which is a range of saucepans. And then there's two ranges of of chef's clothing. There's another range of knives, all kinds of different things. These are entirely designed, managed and manufactured by the team at Nisbet's. Few key points around all of that. Then um, they don't seem to let anyone else sell them, from what I could work out from what he was presenting and from their website. Although several have their own branded e-commerce sites, so you won't find a Polar fridge being sold by anyone else, but you will find it both on the Nisbet site and on the Polar site. The aim of these brands is not to replace those that are offered by their suppliers, but to complement them. And they've proved over the years to their suppliers that it's that. Please don't stop supplying us with your goods because they they shift an awful lot of their competitors' goods, goods as well. The key reasons Andrew suggested that this is a great strategy for any business is that it puts you in control of your products. Well, that's very true. It creates a second layer of identity. So if the customer decides they don't want to be a customer of Nisbet's anymore, they may still want to be a customer of one of the brands. So it gives the customers another reason to return, thus maintaining their sales. To do the branding thing well, you need to go for a strong mid-market positioning so you have the volume of sales to make the product cost effective. To do this, they put very little effort into the brands themselves. They literally just came up with a name, did a logo and went with it. Uh, They are now starting to invest in them, but just to say, you, you know, focus on the product and what the customer wants. Don't get overly into the whole branding exercise. Um, And finally, he feels this will help protect their business as other competitors, including Amazon, enter into their space. He also had a few tips on international selling. Uh, Two of those, in fact. One is that logistics will be the biggest challenge. So make sure you are really focused on getting that right. Where's the warehouse going to be? How can you ship cost effectively? The second international tip was that entering a foreign market, in his opinion, is much more successful if you do it via acquisition. You grow faster and there's less chance of things going wrong. He finished this all with his 
top three pieces of advice for all of you. So here are Andrew Nisbet's top three pieces of advice for any business, to be honest, not just the, in the e-commerce world. Number one, learn and don't be afraid to copy. So well done to everyone listening and reading because you're already at least doing the learning bit and hopefully in, uh, using some of the ideas you're hearing us talk about throughout all the podcast episodes. His second piece of advice is invent stuff, products, prices, services, because you've got to find a way to differentiate yourself from your competition. And his third one was that we should be aiming for what he termed uncomfortable enjoyment. Because if you're too comfortable, your business isn't doing as well as it could be. And if you're not enjoying it, well, what on earth is the point? Right, next up is our updates on top mobile e-commerce tips from the legendary Amy Africa. If you've not come across Amy Africa before, she is a Texan force of nature. In the UK, I've only ever heard of her via the DCA, where she was a regular speaker about eight years ago. And it was great to have her back this year, and she's definitely on form. In Amy Africa world, on form means ridiculously quick fire, incredibly useful and well-researched tips, uh, which for me means an awful lot of writing and a very sore wrist. That's because she does amazing things with user testing in her day job. She looks at exactly what's happening, eye tracking, heat mapping, pulse tracking, all this kind of stuff, and really then drills down into what's important. She's got a really good eye for what what bits should be followed um, and which bits are the ones that are going to be important and worth researching, let alone then getting the results. The title of her session was 38 plus surefire mobile tips that you can implement today without breaking the bank. I am not bringing you all 38. I'm going to bring you my top takeaways from her session instead. Not least because I didn't manage to grab all 38 as she ran through them in the half hour she had to do it. Um, so let I'm going to run. I'm not quite sure how many I've got. Actually, I've merged some and, and played around with some of them. But I think you're all going to find this really useful for helping you out with your mobile strategies, and your mobile plans. Here we go. Navigation and speed are the critical mobile success factors because the customer wants the answer, what they want, fast. Amy believes that mobile is the great equaliser, right, at this moment in time. So no one is doing it especially well right now, and it's actually not that hard to get it right. And if you can get it right, then you're going to create a massive competitive advantage. The key to being successful on mobile is adoption. Amy recommends you focus on getting the customer using the mobile site and just ignore the conversion rates. So don't just look at your mobile stats separately from your desktop stats. You also need to look at your mobile stats split out into which channels the customers came from, specifically focusing them into two different groups of people. Those who you sent to the mobile site, so for example, people um, who are clicking from your emails, and those who just happen to find you on mobile. Then focus your testing and effort on those that you're directing to the mobile site and specifically on those who have got there from your emails. Because if you can manipulate your email customers, you can manipulate your mobile performance. Use, that's a quote directly from Amy there. And um, the word manipulate was her, her usage. I haven't just added that in there to reference my book. Honest. She also suggested that if your mobile performance is shocking and you're currently unable to, to improve it, then make sure you're sending out your emails at a time when your customers are more likely to open them on a desktop. 
fairly obvious, but I've never heard anyone point that out before. So I thought it was definitely worth bringing you that tip too. To make the navigation fast, consider creating mini sites within your mobile offering, which strip the pages back to just what is relevant to the interaction the customer wants to have with you. So if you are in trying to get their email address, strip it back to just the sign up information. Or if you're targeting AdWords based on proximity to store, send them to a mini site that has a great stockist finder. Each of these kind of mini areas might be one page or a hundred pages. You may even have a different one depending on the traffic source, or it might be that it just features your best sellers. On the opposite side of the, side of the coin there then, um, remove pages that have a terrible mobile experience on the mobile site. Amy's found that this usually is 20 to 30% of your normal site's pages. So keep an eye on that mobile traffic and see where it's having real problems. And if you can manage to re remove that page or create a new version of it, do. Have your own set of coupons readily available on the site. So have a clearly available coupons page or voucher codes page. That's in order to keep the customer there on the on the mobile, keep them on your site because the whole back button extra tab thing doesn't really work on mobile. So if they go off to go and hunt for a voucher code somewhere else, they're almost certainly not going to be coming back to you. They'll almost certainly end up going somewhere else. Not least because they can't find you on their mobile. Start collecting mobile numbers as well as email addresses even if you don't plan to send SMS for some time. Customers experience a mobile site screen view by screen view. So each screen view should be a cohesive piece all of its own. That literally means what they can see of your website on their phone screen. So on the product page, the buy call to action should be in every single screen view. And any form should be one view at a time. Focus testing and conversion rate optimization on the top mobile entry pages because this is where you're going to succeed or fail. So look on Google Analytics to see what are the, the most popular pages that people land on as an entry page when they're on a mobile visiting your site. And then make your those work really well with your testing and CRO activity. Make sure availability is clear. Remember, on a mobile, people mentally have less time they're more focused on getting a quick answer so they want to know that that product is available and they want that clearly available amazon um, amy reckons are the best at this because they put it right by the price and very clearly then when you identify where the customer is struggling do something to help them even if it's a bit counterintuitive so that might be implementing a pop-up after they filled their basket, giving them the basket reference number and telling them to call you so as your team can then check them out over the phone. If that's how bad your, your mobile checkout is, if customers can't get through it, then give them the option of phoning you. Pop, put up a pop-up and tell them that. Um, likewise, you know, if it's somewhere you know they keep getting stuck, then trigger the live chat and get them having that discussion. Right, talking of live chat and web chat, let's get into that. So web chat, using technology to increase customer satisfaction and engagement. Um, before I dive into what Angela Downs, who's the web chat manager at Dixon's Carphone, told us about this, Amy also had a couple of warnings around this. Just to let you know, in her experience, it takes about nine months of testing to get your web chat functionality spot on. So you've got to commit to it, you've got to be patient, and you've got to keep optimising. Oh, and she also gave this recommendation, which I thought was really, really 
clever. Again, quite obvious, but if you if you're not told it, it's one you could quite easily miss, which is don't just put your top sales reps, your, your top call reps on the, the web chat platform because talking to someone on the phone and maintaining up to three or four conversations at once on a chat is a very different skill set. So make sure you find the reps who are the right ones for that type of customer service. Okay, so the session was by Angela Downs, who's the web chat channel manager at Dixon's Carphone. As a group this year, for those of you who don't know who they are, exactly who they are, they won the Retail Week Retailer of the Year Award and they're Europe's leading specialist electronics retailer. So they sell everything from laptops and mobile phones to TVs, etc. And they employ over 40,000 people in nine countries, including the following retail brands. In the UK, that's Curry's, PC World, Carphone Warehouse and a few more. In the Nordics, and I really apologise if I pronounce these badly, Elkjop, Leftal, Elgiganten and Giganti. Hopefully I've got that right. If you're not, if you really can't get my get my uh, wording on those, they are all written on the, the page back on the website. And in Spain, Phone House and in Greece, Kotsolvolos. I think. Um, Despite the huge scale of the business, the great majority of Angela's tips can be implemented by a business of any size. It was a fascinating session and it was great to hear a session entirely devoted to this really important part of customer service. It's not something I've seen on any conference agenda anywhere else this year or before. And I learned during the course of this that web chat is a hugely powerful sales channel. In fact, Angela's recommendation was to consider it a sales channel, not a customer service channel. At Dixon's Carphone, they are currently one year into a project to fully adopt the use of web chat as a key channel in the business. The reason they're investing heavily in web chat is because they found that the customer prefers the the chat, the text functionality, to having to call up. So the reason they decided to invest in it is because the customer said they wanted it. And then they've obviously been going for 12 months and the proof is in the pudding. They're getting 16,000 chat interactions even per week. The conversion rate of customers who go on chat is 1,258% better than those who are buying just online without chat. The AOV, the average order value that those customers are placing, is 58% better than online. The NPS, which is the net preference score, that's a way of measuring customer satisfaction, is 6,247% better than online. So the customers are loving it, which explains why conversion rate and AOV are up. All those figures, they're finding are trending upwards month on month. It's also, given this is a sales channel, it's giving them their lowest customer acquisition cost. That's because an agent can deal with three conversations at once which saves on manpower, and they're actively using home workers, which is saving them a huge amount on office space. It's In fact, it's performing so well, they're currently looking at how they can add the web chat service to the physical high street stores. So when there's no one available to talk to you, you can jump on the web chat whilst you're right there in the store. I'm, it's going to be really fascinating to see how that one pans out. Her theory is that a web chat or or a web interaction, a web experience should be like you when you walk around a store. 
If you think about when you go into a high street store, you don't want to be accosted the moment you walk in. You should be able to walk around for a bit first. And you want to be approached by someone who's knowledgeable, friendly and personable. I mean, it's not rocket science, but it's really true. And yeah, I think we could all see how that relates to the web. However perfect you make your store, a customer will always want help. So don't be afraid to offer it. Using web chat is not a failing of your website. It's your looking at your it's your way of making sure you're giving the customer what they want. So here's her, her key tips if you're considering going into web chat or if you've already got you know a live chat system working and you want to really see how you can start getting those that performance that she's been seeing. Read the transcripts and feedback the lessons from those transcripts to the team and fix the problems that are causing the customer's issues in the first place. She reads over 100 transcripts a week to make sure that they're doing the right thing for the customer. Focus on your customers and what they want. Strangely enough, focus on your agents, those people who are dealing with the chats. Look after them, listen to them, train them well, because they're really the, the, they're going to cause the success or failure of this program for you. Set clear strategic goals and avoid scope creep. If this is to be a sales channel, be a sales channel, basically. Continuously improve. Or as I always say, keep optimising. Key areas within the actual chat pop-ups that you should be looking to optimise. And um, I want to say a big thank you to Angie from Fur, Feather and Finn, who asked the question that led to the, to the extra detail on this one. So the areas you want to focus that optimization are the rules that trigger the proactive chat pop-ups. So is it does it happen when someone reaches the product page or is it when someone gets to the checkout and they hit the back button? Is it when someone gets to your delivery page? What are the rules that are going to trigger those proactive chat pop-ups? How can you tweak them? How can you get them better? Um, where the chat pop-up happens so in her previous roles, because she's done over 36 implementations of web chat programs, she's found that the higher up the page, the better. However, with Dixon's car phone, they started in the bottom left corner. And when they tested moving it up, it was not good. So they're back in that bottom left hand corner again. So it varies from business to business. So, so test where on the screen you're going to put that pop up. Make the opening line relevant. So if you know the customer is on the Apple Macs page, open it with the line, want some help picking the right Mac for you. It's not rocket science, but again, it just really helps. So that's her three key areas for continuous improvement. Then align the web chat activity with the marketing calendar. Again, it's a fairly obvious point, but it's one I think it's worth reiterating again and again. So given Angela has implemented over 36 web chat programs, this is amazing advice. And web chat is something it's really easy for pretty much any e-commerce business to start testing and using. It's not difficult. It's not complicated. And it could make a massive difference to your sales. OK, so now it's time for the last bit of this takeaway session and this is the key points from my own session on growing your sales with social media. So I focused on helping the attendees to understand how to work out how to use social media to grow your sales. To help with this I offered three theory points and 11 examples. In this podcast I'm just going to run through the three theory points because the 11 examples really don't work if you can't see the pictures. You can grab the slides, though, with all the examples from the website, ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash 53, the same as everything else. 
So my first point was social media is full of bright, shiny objects. Bright, shiny objects, as hopefully you're all aware, are the things which distract you from what you should be doing. They take you off track. And there's, God, there's so many different ones in social media. They're constant. I I must get at least one or two a day, um, bright, shiny objects on social media. From what I've seen someone else posting, oh, that's a good idea, through to someone telling me that Snapchat is the new Facebook or whatever. So by all means, pay attention to what others are doing and recommending, but always consider how it might work for your business and fit in with your current areas of focus. To help you work out where to start, there's a couple of slides of stats about which platforms work for e-commerce in the slide deck. But please remember that these are aggregated. And so just because Facebook works great for many people doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be great for you. The second one. Social media is a two-way conversation. It's not a blast marketing method. We all expect to converse on social media, to have that conversation. So you need to be ready to chat. It isn't just about marketing. It's also about customer services. You've got to have both of those parts going on with your social media activity. You need content that people are going to want to chat about. Otherwise, they're just not going to respond and engage. You have to measure it differently. You can't compare the performance directly with that email or AdWords. It has a very different job to do. So make sure you're measuring in a, in a different way because it's, it's looking to improve someone's relationship with you, not just drive that one-off sale. Number three, stop thinking, we need social media. Start thinking, what type of social media will help me with the current problem? This point relates straight back to the customer master plan model I've interest, I've introduced even in the book Customer Manipulation, How to Influence Your Customers to Buy More and Why an Ethical Approach Will Always Win. So the key is to work out which of those five stages needs to be improved next and then take the right actions to fix that. And some of those actions might lie in the world of social media. The examples in the slide deck then cover how to improve stage one, stage two, and then the combined approaches to stages three to five. So stage one is getting traffic to your website. Stage two is getting the email sign up and three to five are the stages for um, getting those purchases. I leave you to check out those slides. Thanks for listening today to my takeaways from the DCA Annual Summit. I hope you found a few nuggets to help your business grow. You can find the full script right there, ready to read or print. Links to the various resources I mentioned and my slides at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash 53. You'll also find right there details of how to get yourself the first chapter of my new book for free. As I mentioned earlier, it's called Customer Manipulation, How to Influence Your Customers to Buy More and Why an Ethical Approach Will Always Win. It's now available in ebook, paperback and audiobook format. It's about three weeks old as this one hits the airwaves and it's been getting fantastic reviews and rankings on Amazon all over the globe, including this one that was posted recently. I've read a number of e-commerce slash marketing books over the years, but this tops them all. I would highly recommend it to people at all levels in their careers. You will certainly benefit from the thorough approach to influencing your customers. I especially enjoyed the chapter about turning visitors into inquirers and will be actioning points immediately. You can grab that first chapter for free right now at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash 53. Make sure you keep listening too, as we have some great interviews coming up for you over the next few weeks, including Alistair Broom from Garage Flex, who'll be explaining his B2B e-commerce approach. 
Tamara Dushul, the head of brand at Tesco, one of the world's top 10 largest retailers, and Liam Jennings from Regal Gentleman. Ellie, who's in the ECMP team, says this is one of her favourite ever podcasts. So I know you're going to like the next three weeks. So please do keep joining in, keep, keep tuning in and listening and subscribe on iTunes if you like, so you'd never miss an episode. Have a great week, everyone, and keep optimising. Thank you for listening to the e-commerce master plan podcast. Find out more at ecommercemasterplan.com.